0: This morning, we're back in James. We are in uh, James 1, verse 9. Uh, We'll eventually get there. But we're continuing the series of of this idea of a a call to commitment that James is is throwing out there. Oh, and I forgot to dismiss the kids. It's right here in my notes, and I left it alone. Uh, Kids, you're dismissed. But James is is calling us to a commitment, calling us to go further in our life than just platitudes and this idea that Jesus saves me. And That's great. Now, what do I do with it? I used to have a pastor that uh, uh, he was uh, such a loving man and and such a a godly man, Um, but his sermons were all, Jesus loves you. Well, that's great. But 40 years of Jesus loves you, okay, that's an evangelistic message. But for the body of Christ, the mature, those that are supposed to be maturing, it needs to go beyond Jesus loves you to, what do I do now that I know that Jesus loves me? Well, James was the second uh, of Mary's children, uh, Joseph's of, uh, firstborn. Jesus had four brothers and two sisters, as we talked about. He, he was raised in this family, and you have to wonder what it was like. Uh, you know, we kind of joked about that last week, but you could imagine the teacher Oh, you're Jesus' brother. I had him last year. Yeah, okay. Uh, there would have been a lot of pressures, a lot of, you know, certain expectations. It, it would have been uh, unusual for his family. Uh, Jesus walked away from the family. As the firstborn, he walked away from the family and the family business, and, and people were flocking to Jesus. He became this rabbi. So everyone was asking around, is he the Messiah? He's the Messiah. And they would go to the children and ask, is he the Messiah? Now, as a brother or sister, are you going to call your brother or sister Messiah? <laughs> yeah, you know? <laughs> so there was some, some stuff going on there. Jesus of Nazareth was, was just their brother, but he was much more. Everyone in Nazareth struggled with this. He, he returned as an adult and, and went to church there. And as a rabbi, when he showed up, um, different men in the church would, would uh, now don't give me, ladies, don't, um, don't have a problem with women reading in church, okay? I'm just saying, this is what they did. The, the, the men would stand up and they would read through scripture. And that scripture happened to be, be Isaiah. And he opened it up and he read that. And at the very end, Jesus commented on it and said, this is me. I am the fulfillment of that prophecy. And you could imagine the church. This is little Jesus that grew up in their town. They're like, aren't you little Joseph's son? For the next three years, thousands of people flocked to hear Jesus. One occasion, 5,000 people showed up on a natural you know, hillside to hear him teach. It's just a little bigger than our congregation, you know. A few more families here and there. Some of these were his closest followers, but his family was not. Mark tells us that Jesus was in a house one day teaching, and and his brothers and sisters couldn't get in, and and the house was too packed. So uh, they they basically sent a message saying, send Jesus out. We're going to take him home because he's kind of lost it. He's out of his mind, they basically said. Well, Jesus went all the way to the cross with only his mother, beside him. Being the only family member to to support him, that was on a Friday. But on a Sunday, everything changed because he defeated death. He started appearing to his friends to prove to them who he was. He appeared to James and showed James They rehashed the scriptures and and that all the different scriptures throughout the Bible that pointed toward Jesus and people's eyes were suddenly open. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that he sought out his little brother and met with him and and James was amazed. So 50 days later when the Holy Spirit filled people at the the day of Pentecost, Jesus' mother was there. Some of his brothers were there. They were believers now. And they received the boldness to preach and lead. Last week we left off with, uh, you know, talking about asking for wisdom in this life. And did anybody, well, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I'm hoping you prayed this week, Lord, give me some wisdom. Wisdom how to handle a situation. Wisdom how to, how to go through something gracefully or wisdom how to handle my kids or, or how to handle my parents or how to handle, you know, whatever you're going through. Give me wisdom, Lord because he gives it freely. I think wisdom needs to be po- uh, be paired with boldness so we can preach with our lives and lead others toward Christ. And I don't necessarily mean out on the street corner. Some of you evangelists, go for it. Street corner is your, your thing. Go for the corner and do it, and do it well with that boldness. But other people just need to be bold in how they live in their lives and, and, and bringing people toward God. See, one of the key proofs that that Jesus was who he said he was was the fact that his mother and his brothers and sisters became followers of Christ, even though they were raised in the same family. They ended up calling him Lord and Savior. James became a key leader in the Jerusalem Council, as we talked about. Anytime a huge decision was, was, you know, arose in the church, the council uh, would gather, and, and Peter, James, and John would be the deciding factor. And then in A.D. 36, Stephen was martyred, and they were going house to house, killing and arresting Christians. Everyone scattered, and we talked about that last week. Then, ironic, a famine hits Judea. Do you think God's hand was in that? because it sent even more Christians out. You see how God can use the things of this world to affect his kingdom? He allowed a famine to come in there, and they went searching for food and water and a better place to live, and they took their teachings of Christ with them as they went across the world. Jesus' or James's humility is evident here in this book. He didn't be, you know begin the book with, James the brother of Jesus he began or, or he didn't he didn't he put you know the leader of the Jerusalem council no he said I'm a bond of Christ I'm choosing to serve my lord he became a servant of Christ We talked about different trials, or James talked about the trials that we may go through. And he tells us to be joyful in those difficult situations. For many people, this would be kind of out of touch. How can I be joyful in the middle of a difficult problem? Imagine people going through the hardest part of their life. Think about what was going on back then. You had people being martyred. And killed. And then you get a letter. <laughs> you're thinking, okay, we're going to get some encouragement. Then he goes, you've been going through a hard time, haven't you? And you're like, yeah, 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 I am. This, I'm being really tested. And he goes, well, have great joy about it. And they're like, wait, wait, what? Did, did he just say joy? I guess that's what he said. And then he goes, no, 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 no. You need to have pure joy because it will lead to maturity. So don't feel sorry for yourself knowing that you will become stronger and better in your faith. James is about moving us forward in our maturity. He's very purposeful in writing this letter. No little sweet prayers at the beginning. No huge encouraging word. He just jumps right in. And this reminds me of real friends when they get together. You know, real friends, there's not a lot of platitudes, right? You just jump right back in. You know, I, I always, I'm always talking about the, the group that goes to, to Canada and stuff, but, you know, it's like my younger brother. I don't, he's not a very talkative guy on the phone, you know what I mean? We, we talk here and there, but he's just not a phone guy, you know? But, man, we get in that fishing boat, we just go at each other, you know, having fun and, and ragging on each other because he never catches as many fish as I have because I record the numbers, okay, But we just jump right into it. And this is what James does. No flowery stuff. He just jumps right in the middle of it. And and this is what the Bible talks about, ironing, sharpening iron. Jesus is actually treating us, his readers, as if we're good friends. So don't take offense to what he's trying to say. He's treating us as if we're family the tests that you may be going through, you know, it may feel like a bad thing, but it's not. Because God is working something in you, he says. Let's, pers- you know, let's persevere through this and, and let it finish its work. Don't bail on Jesus in the middle of it. Upomone, he said, to stay under the pressure. This is not a, a passive patience this is the marathon runner on the 25th mile that says, I, I, I'm done, but i got to finish this. My body is just worn out, but i got to keep going to that finish line. This is the Christian walk, or this is the Christian run. James will give us over the next five ch- uh, chapters everything but sympathy. Well, thanks. <laughs> you don't need sympathy. You need somebody to train you, James says. You set goals to follow Christ closely, and this is what it's about finishing strong. James is calling us to totally commit our lives to being a walk with Christ, to mature. Are you willing to totally commit to that? Because our lives will test us, I tell you, and we will want to turn back. Sympathy is great, but sometimes we need the swift kick up the backside. You know what I'm saying? In the words of the classic Pixar star Dory in Finding Nemo, we got to keep on swimming, keep on swimming. Okay, I know, you don't want me to stop singing. I know, I know, I get that. You can tell what we were talking about this last week at home, right? Yeah. But he says, you know, James tells us to embrace the trial and persevere through that trial, and this is so much harder than it sounds. This is why we're, we're wanting to, to connect with the Care Pregnancy Center and do that in ministry and stuff. Because th- talk about the single mom or the two young kids that are, that are 16 and 17 or 18 and 16 or whatever their ages are, you know, the, the young parents, and, and now they have a child and they have to take care of that child day after day after day. Some of you guys go, yeah, I know what that, I know what that is. Some of, you, some of you have been the single mom and having to take care, and you know what that is. And it's a testing of our, of our faith. And that's why we can disciple and help these young people persevere through this struggle to get to the other side. This is why I believe that, you know, in the fall, we're talking about the, the MOPS group. I, th- I think it's important. And some of you are going to step up and help with that. And some of you are sitting there thinking, no, that's not going to be me. And the Lord's going, yeah, it may be some of you. But don't think of babysitting. It's much more than, in fact, the kids are going to stay with the moms in this type of mops group. We're not going to separate them, especially at the beginning. We've got to build those relationships with these young people and teach them about stuff like perseverance. And we're going to start with God's mercy and God's grace upon their lives to let them know that they are loved by the one true God. But perseverance is a very tricky thing. Ask the person who's been on the fifth round of chemo. I've learned one thing. You cannot choose the test that you're going to go through. But you can do another thing. And I'm making sure my child's not back there. Because he's getting to that age where he's like, stop talking about me, Dad. I keep telling uh, Brandon and Grayson, but more Brandon, you can't choose what you're going through. But you can choose your attitude. Because it makes all the difference in the world. Our perspective as believers in Christ is when hard things come into our life, we assume, what? That God wants to take them away? Because that's how we pray usually, right? God, take this burden from me. God, take this away from me. So we pray for that to happen. And guess what? It doesn't happen. And then all of a sudden we're at a crossroads that either we believe that this trial is being allowed by God to mature us and it won't go away until the time that he says. Or we have the choice to walk away from our faith. It's all about our attitude. Our attitude will dictate the actions that we have. We'll have others come and say, I'm praying that it will go away. I've learned to stop saying this. Instead, you'll hear me a lot of times pray and say, Man, I pray that God's will be done in the middle of this situation. Because I can't presume that God wants to take that away. I'm not God. I don't know. So I pray for God's will in whatever situation that it might be. First Corinthians 13 says, or 1013 says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. I keep telling my child, what you're going through is not unusual. Other kids your same age are going through the same thing. Guess what? Every child in the fourth grade has the same amount of work. Every teacher follows the same plan. I, I mean, you know, like my other son goes, poof, you know, kind of blows your mind. But for some reason, you know, Brandon will decide, well, I, you know, I have so much more work than so-and-so. No, they're just not doing their work. Or they don't care about their work. You care about it. You're trying to do it. You're trying to complete it well. You kind of overthink it sometimes. Okay, we got past that. You know what I'm saying? But nothing, nothing is more than we can handle. Because God is faithful. It he continues here. He will not lead you into, uh, to be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Nothing causes a person to grow more spiritually and mentally than a hard trial. It matures us and it allows us to become people of faith, refusing to allow the circumstance to dictate our response. We need to get past that point where we think that all God wants to do is to make us happy. No, 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 no. That's not what God is trying to do in our lives. God is trying to make us holy. And with that holiness, true happiness comes. But it's not about being happy. Holiness comes through the fire. And you will never be the human being that God intends for you to be without going through the fire. This is what James says. Cheer up here. Have a little joy. The trial hurts, I know. If life is too easy, you're going to remain soft. When you go through the refiner's fire, we need to celebrate that. Because what comes out of it is purity. We talked about last uh, wisdom last week. And if you miss that, it's online. But the storms we go, to, go through are, are just details. And what, are, what I mean is this. Remember the, the story of the, uh, of the disciples in the boat with Jesus? And a storm arose and Jesus is asleep. And they're thinking, we're going to die. And they're like trying to wake up Jesus. They were really freaked out. He's sleeping. The creator of the winds and the waves are actually in the boat with them. And this is what we have to realize. In the middle of the storm, this is just a storm, and Jesus is with us, and guess what? The boat's not going to sink. The question is, could this boat sink my storm? And the question is, well, where's Jesus? Is Jesus in your boat or not? Just hang on to him. He's the best life preserver there is. We learn that with wisdom. All we have to do is ask, Wisdom says build your life on Christ. Let him be the foundation. And when storms come along, we rely on him in the middle of the circumstances. You know, uh, you guys know the story of, of uh, Lisa's pregnancy with Brandon. Uh, I, I think most of you do. And then Grayson's story with, his, uh, with the adoption with Grayson and all that. Uh, but one, one theme kind of wove through all of that. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it here just because of uh, time has gotten away from us. The one thing that was woven through that was calmness and the reason was the Lord has taken us through storms of our life that when we got to that point where all of a sudden it was like oh should we be worried it's like no God's got this no matter what happens God's got this and nurses and doctors would come in and they would say you guys seem so calm and we're like well it's because we believe that Jesus has got this. We're okay with what happens because we know that God's going to take care of us no matter what. See, it's during those seasons when, when we're not in a storm, that's when the work happens. Have you noticed that construction workers don't work in the middle of the storm? When do they work? When it's nice and bright and sunny and 110 degrees in Tulare, Right? They work then so that when the storm comes, they're able to survive. The house stays up. Well, let's move on. Verse 9, it says, Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their uh, humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. It blossoms, falls, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Now, really quick, I was struck this last week about the announcement of the divorce of Bill and Melinda Gates. 27 years of marriage. My wife and I are not a 27th year. They're married the same year. Our pasts have gone the same way. You know, rich, no, okay, maybe not. But what I was surprised about is this. All the money in the world doesn't satisfy you. If your foundation is not on Christ, nothing will satisfy you. Lisa and I don't have a perfect marriage. I, okay, well, let me rephrase this. She's perfect, I'm not, okay? It's Mother's Day. We'll, we'll stick with that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah thank you. Ooh, okay. But the point is, our foundation is in Christ, That's what keeps us in love. Can't rely on the riches of this world. It fades away. Verse 12, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. James is reminding us that at the very end, the very end of this trial, there will be a victor. And the victor is promised a crown when it goes through Christ. So don't let a good trial go to waste. There's a reward it just may not be here. We need to allow it to run its course so we can get the crown. Then when we use the word, you know, this word is overused big time, isn't it? You ask somebody, how you doing? Oh, I'm so blessed. I'm just having a blessed day. You be blessed too. And that word is so overused when, when people are using it, it becomes annoying almost sometimes. A truly blessed person is one who's gone through something really hard, and they can appreciate the relationship they have with God even more. A truly blessed person is one who has lost everything and gained Christ. Je- you know, James is, is going to sound this way all the way through the letter. These juxtapositions uh, to rejoice when you hit a trial. And you're like, What? Well, this sounds a lot like the Sermon on the Mount. When you're weak, you are strong. When you're poor, you are rich. When you mourn, you are to celebrate. And you're like, what? But without Christ, you wouldn't understand those things. That's the important part of all this. James will tell us what Jesus said, that there is more to life than what we can see. And feelings, guess what? They betray us. So the wise follower of Christ will always go with their gut, right? No, sometimes the gut is based on feelings, and feelings can fool you. The wise can celebrate while other people mourn and complain. When others others give up, the the, the wise Christ follower chooses joy. Now, this doesn't mean fake happiness. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just doing great. Oh, life is terrible. You know, as soon as they turn away. No. Joy is knowing that, yeah, this is difficult, but I know where I'm going in the end, so I can, I can get through this. Because they truly believe something is happening here. And this is the truth of Romans 8.28. And we all know it, that in all things, that in all things God works for good of those who love him, who have been co- uh, called according to his purpose. This verse is not saying that everything is resolved in this lifetime. When we take it out of context, we can make it say that. Most of Jesus' disciples were martyred. Their last day on earth was the worst day that they'd ever had in many many ways. They didn't get to the point where they went, Oh, everything was resolved and, and is working out. No, everything got resolved and worked out when they went to heaven. Jesus himself, his life did not make sense to his followers until after his death, and then it all came together. All things, God works for the good of those who love him. Yes, it is true, but unfortunately, some of us will actually die of cancer. It'll be resolved in heaven. We'll be healed then. We want to be healed here, right? Can I get an amen on that? People going through that, you understand. You want to be healed here, but it may be not healed until you get to heaven. Then it's resolved. Some of us will pass away before the prodigal comes home. And God will use your death to actually bring the prodigal son or the prodigal daughter or or that that person who who you took under your wings that feels like a son or daughter. It takes your death to bring them back home. Then it's resolved. Look for life to make sense eventually. And remember that death is not the end of this life. And verse 13, James shifts from, from trial, from a trial, uh, uh, to, to being tempted. And people try to tie this together. It is tied together, but, uh, but they're separate at the same time. Um, and I, I know I'm running out of time, but I'm almost done. Uh, it says here, when tempted, verse 13, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. James kind of mixes his metaphors here. He talks about childbirth like sin is conceived in us, and then over time, it's birth into death. Look at the word enticed. It's a fishing word. It's what we call bait. I love to fish. My uncle says I have a knack for it. For some reason on the lakes in Canada, I can find those pockets where those fish are just waiting there. And they don't understand. now part of that's my my fish finder helps me. Helps me a lot. Especially with GPS because I can mark it. But at the same time, you still got to go out there and you still got to find those holes and then you still got to put the bait on and you stick the bait down the ground and you got to make it look like something that's yummy that they want to eat. Fishing is all about enticing that fish to take the bait. To say, hey, looky, looky, it doesn't have a hook in it, I promise. What's interesting is you got to trick the fish. The fish opens its mouth and you think they chomp down. No, no. They open their mouth and they suck it in. They suck water in and it goes out their gills, okay? But I've learned something. And Satan's like this too when it comes to temptation. I let the fish suck it in. I feel the bite, as they call it, and I wait. I don't yank that sucker. I don't start reeling in. I I wait for the second suck. I know it's weird saying that, you know. But I wait for the second one because that's when it really takes the bait. The first one, he's just kind of filling it out. The second one, he gets it in there, and he, he kind of chomps down, and that's when you pull back fast. That's when you yank on it. That's when the hook is set, and that's what Satan does to us. James says, people are just like these fish. We see a tasty snack of sin, and we see the bait. Now, some of these fish, they're skittish. They've learned over the years. Usually, they're the bigger fish. It's fun. They may hear the vibrations of the boat. They may hear the vibrations of people talking in the boat. In fact, this is why I don't fish anywhere near one of my cousins. I don't. He's the loudest person in the boat. He's dropping stuff because we're, we're not in these nice fabric glass big boats, okay? We're in these, these 12, 14, 16-foot aluminum bottom boats. So you drop a pair of pliers, it goes clunk, 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 and, it, uh, and those, that noise vibrates out into the water. The fish get skittish, and they go the other direction. I'm like, I'm not sitting anywhere near him. My uncle's like, how come I can't catch with Matt? And I'm like, well, yeah, okay. Probably shouldn't have said his name. Okay, anyway. I mean, he's a very intelligent guy. He, he works for the government, the Defense Department. When he went to Israel on a trip, they had guards outside his door in the hotel. And he was allowed to go to the conference, And allowed to go back to the conference, I mean, his hotel room. And that was it. He wasn't allowed to go anywhere else. He was intelligent. He works on, like, nuclear submarines, all sorts of things uh, for Department of, of Defense. He is stinking smart. But when it comes to fishing, he's noisy. We can be smart as we get older. As you get older, most temptations you face... You have faced sin before. Sometimes you've taken the bait. You've sucked it in. You've chopped down on it. You've been caught. And lucky, luckily the fisherman doesn't want to eat you and they throw you back in the water. And then you have to start thinking, why am I hanging around this bait? I've seen this before. Why am I circling this? We need to see, see it for what it is. And get out of there. That is our prayer as we mature. And James continues to address the notion that this temptation is from God. And he says, No, 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 no. Uh uh, I don't think so. Verse 16, he says, Don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might become or we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. This is on the wall, the first part of this, every good and perfect gift is from above, is on the wall of Grayson's room because he was a gift to God to us through adoption. And he's God's glory. Just as our natural born son's life was a gift with all the complications and stuff. We feel that way on both. But God wants us to to show off all of his creation. We are his first fruits. He doesn't give sin to us. The world gives sin to us. And we have a choice to take it or not. But we are created for God's glory. And the only things that come from God are good things, godly things. This is why we should persevere through trials. This is why we, we, we watch for the bait. And when that temptation comes, we avoid that bait because it's for God's glory. God's glory. That's what our lives are about, and that's what James is trying to teach us. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might might be the first fruits of all that he created. God's glory. Amen. Why don't you stand and we will pray and the worship team will finish us up with one song. Lord, I thank you that we are, we are considered first fruits. When we become a child of yours, we, we are, it's a good thing, it's a great thing, it's a gift to, uh, of life through you and in you. We pray, Lord, that our life is for your glory. That when we go through temptation, that we see it and we avoid it. We avoid it so your glory can can be shown. That when we have trials in our life, that, that we look at it as for your glory, God, that no matter what happens, we'll be godly throughout this. Lord, we pray that you guide us in this life that you mature us. We pray that it's done gently. But Lord, most of all, we pray that our life is full of your glory and your honor and your purpose. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine down upon you. And may you forever be the glory of God. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.